Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. If you're a member of the Redemption Church, like I am, then uh, it's been a few weeks since we've been in Isaiah, and you might need a recap. If you are a church that is using a JCM curriculum piece, Holy Dissident, the prophet Isaiah, uh, then bear with me as I give a quick recap. Hopefully that will be helpful anyway. When we last tuned in to the book of Isaiah, King Hezekiah was the king of Judah. King Sennacherib was the king of Assyria, and he was right outside the door. They had just been laying waste to all these fortified cities, and they just slew everyone. And now they're knocking on the door to Jerusalem. We see this in the historical record even of ancient Assyria. They were very braggadocious about their conquests, but what is strategically omitted is the city of Jerusalem because, spoiler, they won't get it. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's, even, it's even more brutal than the setting for the, that, that movie 300, all right, where the Persians were, uh, were, were fighting against the Spartans. Like it's, uh, it, it, was, it was even worse. It was even worse. Assyria just seemed indomitable, and they were just undefeated, conquering everybody. And now they're just taunting the people of God right there at the door. So uh, King Hezekiah is deeply distressed by this. See this in chapter 37. He tore his clothes, covered himself in sackcloth. He went to the Lord's temple. It's a good move. All right. Uh, he is spreading the news that things are rough here, and he asks for a word from Isaiah. Isaiah sends back this on behalf of God. The Lord says this. That's a great way to preface anything you say. How tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. Uh, just to rest upon his promise, just to say, just to know, thus saith the Lord. The Lord says, don't be afraid because of the words you have heard with which the king of Assyria's attendants have blasphemed me, God says. I'm about to put a spirit in him. Yes, God did that. And he will hear a rumor and return to his own land where I will cause him to fall by the sword. Now, this is all taking place around the year uh, 701 B.C., and then we know in the historical record in 683 BC, uh, Sennacherib's son, uh, what is that, Ben Hassad, something like that, uh, takes over. Oh, Esar Haddon, uh, Esar Haddon takes over his throne. But that's not. That's going to be almost 20 years later. Nonetheless, God is faithful to keep His promise. King Sennacherib sends a letter, and he says, "Okay, the bad guy says to the the quote unquote good guys." Don't let your God on whom you rely deceive you. Okay, this is accusing God of lying by promising that Jerusalem won't be handed over to the king of Assyria. And then he goes on to just brag about other places that he's conquered and how their gods didn't rescue them. So your God is not going to rescue you. All right? He assumes, he assumes to even at times through his representative speak on behalf of God. Now that's that's not so outdated a practice as you might think. It even happens today when Christians hold to a biblical worldview on given stances that are contrary to popular sins, near deified through religiosity sins. They will assume the voice of God themselves. And they'll say, no, God's totally okay with this sin, for example. That's not so far removed from what King Hezekiah experienced. And it's, it's also futile because, you know, they can read. They can read the Bible, but they are reality averse. So they'll even try to fool themselves 
and they'll tell themselves, God's not going to do anything about this. God even likes this sin, right? Does that sound like something you may have heard from even some of our fellow churches here around Seattle? Arguably, if they start teaching a false gospel, I'd say they're not really our sister churches. It's a false teaching. This was what Sennacherib did. This is what the Assyrians would do. So then Hezekiah prayed. And we talked about this in a previous devotion. If you would recall, he prays in such a way that God would be glorified. Okay? Uh, these same gods who are made from wooden stone by human hands, this is, uh, spoiler, this is where uh, Sennacherib's going to die. Nearly 20 years later, he's going to be worshiping those false gods, and he's going to be turned on and slain. Uh, and, and now he's asking God to save the people of God by his power. And the reason for it is so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God, you alone. This is good to have a prayer that appeals to the glory of God. And so then Isaiah gives an answer to this prayer on behalf of God. It says to, this is addressed to King Sennacherib, virgin daughter Zion despises and scorns you. Daughter Jerusalem shakes her head behind your back. Now, what's cool about this is that we know that Zion, the mountain of God, Jerusalem, the city that belongs to God, where God's chosen people live on the earth in this Old Testament era, if, if God's daughter is angry at someone, that guy better watch out. All that my little two and a half foot tall baby girl has to do is, is point at someone who hurt her. I'm going after him. This is God's daughter, Zion. Who is it that you have mocked and blasphemed, God is asking Sennacherib? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. So he mocks God, and God is about to hold him, take him to task. Have you not heard? I designed it, designed it long ago. All right, King Sennacherib, those who would assume to speak on God's behalf or accuse God of lying. I planned it in days gone by. I have now brought it to pass you have crushed fortified cities into piles of rubble, right? Now, what Sennacherib doesn't realize is that even his conquests were being used by God. Even though he disavowed God, he was useful in the hands of God. But look at what he says to Sennacherib. I know you're sitting down, you're going out, you're coming in, and you're raging against me. Hey, man, I know that like Liam Neeson made it famous on that movie Taken, right? When he's talking to the guys who have captured his daughter. Uh, but like God did this long, long before. I right? look back to 701 BC. All right, God is telling them, look, I know where you sit. I know where you go. I know that you rage against me. Because you're raging, because of your raging against me and because of your arrogance as it's reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and put my bit in your mouth and make you go back the way you came. Fascinatingly, it's not indicated in the text, but we know in the historical record that when people were brought before kings as they've been captured, it's a brutal practice, but there was a ring that we believe was made to go through the nose and the upper lip, and this was how they would be brought forward, like, like with a horse with a bridle, only this was a piercing. And so it's, it's quite likely that this is the imagery, if that, if that historical, uh, if we're interpreting that, that artifact correctly, that that's what that thing was for, this way that you'd be brought against a king uh, who is your enemy after you've been conquered, this, God's telling him, that's what I'm going to do to you. And here it is. Now he addresses his people, okay, in verses 30 and 31. 
this will be a sign for you. This year, you, the people of Jerusalem, will eat what grows on its own, and in the second year, what grows from that. But in the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They are currently at this time under siege. Okay, they can't go outside the walls of their own city because they're under attack. You go outside, you get killed because the Assyrians are all there. They're surrounding the city. So what do you do about food? Fortunately, they had two years stockpiled. All right, they had, they had something stockpiled, but what God is telling them they're going to do is actually eat from the fruit that is going to, the, the food that's going to grow from what they have right there within the city. And this is going to be a sign to them. All right. While they're under siege, God's going to provide for them and his provision itself will be a miraculous sign. This year you will eat what grows on its own and in the second year what grows from that. All right. So whatever they had stockpiled for two years was not likely going to make it, uh, but they were going to eat what grew right there in the city. But in the third year, the fact that you're going out and planting vineyards and eating their fruit, that means that the siege is over. The surviving remnant of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. Look at the, the imagery here. Even though this is written to, this is spoken by God through his prophet to a people who were under siege, who were surrounded, had their supplies cut off. You are going to take root downward and bear fruit upward. It's beautiful poetry to describe their coming prosperity, even while they're under attack. For a remnant will go out from Jerusalem and survivors from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So while they're under siege, God is promising them incredible fruitfulness and prosperity. That's a blessing right there. It may have been a difficult promise to believe or accept. Now in verse 33, he again uh, changes, shifts his audience back to Sennacherib. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city shoot an arrow here, come up before it with a shield, or build up a siege ramp against it, all right? A siege ramp was like what you see on Lord of the Rings when the orcs are trying to get into the castle and they put these ladders up there. That's a siege ramp. That's where they're trying to get from the outside of the city wall to the inside of the city. And God's saying, he's not even going to shoot an arrow here, and he's not going to come before it with even a shield, and he's not going to build a siege ramp against it. He will go back the way he came. He will not enter this city. This is the Lord's declaration. I will defend this city and rescue it for my sake and for the sake of my servant, David. And then you are not going to believe how God does this. We'll see that in tomorrow's devotion, but for now, in light of this text, you feel like you are under siege? Are you going through it? Are you in the ringer right now? Are you in legal trouble? Somebody's coming after you for unjust cause. Would you take heart? Would you place your faith in the Lord? Would you trust in Him? He has been delivering His people from sieges for millennia. If your conscience is clear before the Lord, place all of your trust in Him. Pray to Him prayer for deliverance. He is faithful to his people. He's never going to fail you. I'll see you tomorrow.